All right, good evening, everybody. If you want to turn your Bibles to Genesis chapters 48, um, and we'll try to get all the way through 50 tonight. Wrap it up. There's a lot. It's a lot. But um, I'm excited to get into Exodus. Genesis covers, uh, whether you know this or not, uh, more than 2,200 years of our history. In fact, in this one book, you cover more than you will in the rest of the Old Testament. So from here on out, we're going to cover about 1,600 years of history up until Malachi. So um, that helps you get your uh, timeline right. All the way to Moses is about 2,000 plus years, 2,400 years or so. From there all the way to Malachi, you've got another 1,600. So that puts us at the, oh, uh, uh, I'm guessing. We're guessing here. And so when you get to Jesus, you're at about 4,000 is the point. You got a 400-year gap between Malachi and Matthew. So Jesus is fourth. So Moses, 2,000. Jesus, 4,000. And where are we today? We're at about the 6,000 mark. So it's interesting. How close are we um, to Israel getting their final seven years before the church is raptured away and prophecy begins to be fulfilled for Israel to get their last chance to receive their Messiah? We're very, very close. We can see the world around us, obviously. And uh, I think today I got the news about the Iowa State Fair and about lost my mind. First time since World War II, they canceled the Iowa State Fair. And I'm done being quiet about it, okay? Ridiculous. And yet, that was the most sane news I've read all week as we begin to defund the police department nationwide. And as I see these things progressing and it making sense to a lot of people out there, I realize we are very, very close to the end. We're getting to the place where it's going to be very easy for every man to do what's right in his own eyes. We are regressing. We're going back to the Wild West. Everybody's going to strap on their six-shooter. There ain't nobody to call. In fact, I saw a funny post that said, what am I supposed to do with the body when I kill my intruder since I can't call the police anymore? And someone posted below, you got pigs? <laughs> we have lost our mind and our soul. And so I look up for our redemption draws near, and it is unbelievable. I got a buddy went to high school with. He's a cop up in Sioux City, Iowa, and he was sharing with me his brief two-hour or so shift at Hy-V. He had to go to Hy-V. They have a shift for the Hy-V guy, you know, for the cop who has to sit at Hy-V. I don't know what he has to do. I didn't get into the details, but he just he described briefly some of the things he has to go through, the hate that comes his way at a grocery store of all places. And he goes, but that's the way it is. I knew what I signed up for. Or, you know, he's good-natured about it. I said, man, that just is lame. Send him a box of steaks. I said, man, we ain't like that. Most of us aren't like that, you know? Just a bunch of weirdos out there. So... With the weirdos increasing, look up for your redemption draws near, okay? Because it's just going to get worse, you know? It's going to get worse. So we're at 2,000 with Moses beginning next week. We're at 4,000 with Jesus, and we are currently in our 6,000 plus. We're in the 7,000th era right now. So at any moment, Christ can come and call his church home, the seven-year Great Tribulation begins, and we will return on white horses with him. And that is in the book of Revelation. You can read about that. So, chapter 48. Now, it came to pass after these things that Joseph was told, Indeed, your father is sick. And he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And Jacob was told, Look, your son Joseph is coming to you. And Israel strengthened himself and sat up on the bed. Then Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said to me, Behold, I will, make you a fruit, I will make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will make of you a multitude of people and give this land to your descendants after you as an everlasting possession. Just a brief break here before we finish this section up. 
Most of chapter 48 is all about Joseph being blessed by his father, Jacob. And in fact, to the point where he gets a double portion of the blessing because he blesses Joseph's boys, Ephraim and Manasseh. That's what the whole chapter is about. It's a very special bond between these two. And sometimes it was too special, and we've talked about that. A little too much favoritism going on in the family. A lot of, uh, it's a blended family to be sure, and it caused a lot of heartache and strife when the love of the father was not evenly distributed, and it was known. It was known. So as we see this and we read this, we see that as Joseph is coming to visit his dad who's sick, and at that age, when you get that call about your parents saying, they're kind of sick. The implication is they're not going to recover from this one. It's a too hard of a road for them to come back on. And so he goes to visit his father, understanding that the time is near, and he wants to see him one more time. And a beautiful moment here. And, and, and Jacob hears he's coming. And he wants to sit himself up and look his best. And my son's coming, you know, today. My son's coming. How many times has that been said at the nursing homes? You know, my, my boy's coming to pick me up, and boy, they're out there an hour early, sitting in their wheelchair, waiting to be picked up. You get the idea. My son's coming. Man, don't ever stand him up. Just a little side note there. It's very important. So let me get ready. And he tells his boy, Joseph, God Almighty told me I was going to be blessed. God Almighty told me I was going to have a multitude of people. And he's going to give us this land as an everlasting possession. Now, why is he saying all that? Why is he rehearsing and going over the promises of God? Because I tell you what, up until a few years ago, for Jake, it didn't look like any of that was going to happen. We're in the middle of a famine. My son's dead, my favorite son. All these things are going against me. Remember what he told Pharaoh? My days, most of them have been evil, full of sorrow. This is a man full of sorrow most of his life from the time that he left his family because he had to run away from his brother who wanted to kill him because he stole his birthright and so on. And I've gone over this before and we don't need to rehearse that, but he's going over the promises. Looking back, hindsight is 2020. And that's a beautiful thing as a believer. I can look back at my life and I can see all of my high school days. Someone says, Someone said, I, you know, I posted something about my mom dying, and thanks, everybody, for the condolences. And someone said, well, she must have been a wonderful woman if she raised such a fine boy as you. And I wanted to comment and say, I, I gave her every gray hair she ever had. Fine boy. Nope. Joseph is look, or Jacob is looking back on his life and seeing, seeing the plan. Who would have... Who would have thunk it, you know, going to see Laban? Who would have thought that Leah, that mistake or error or duped or tricked or whatever you want to put that category, put that, what category to put that under? As he's looking back at his life, he's seeing God had his hand on every step of the way. And sure enough, he's bringing it about. I mean, I thought we were dead with all the food thing going on with the famine. Where are we going to get food? Boy, he just worked it out perfectly to where you weren't dead. You were more than alive. You were being raised up to be a protector for us during this time and this season. It was just, what an amazing thing. And you got to wonder what Jake's thinking right now, because I know what I'd be thinking. I'd be like, man, I wish I'd have walked by faith through all of that. Now, the good news is God took him through all of that, regardless of how he thought, lack of faith, a bunch of faith. He still brought about his promises regardless of how Jacob did. But boy, if you were Jacob, wouldn't you just be kicking yourself saying, you know, I could have been overjoyed. I could have been praising the Lord through it all, but I didn't. That's a lesson for me. God has got a plan for every single one of us. He promises us that. As believers, he's We've given him his, our lives, saying, God, take me, use me, do with whatever. I, I, you've given your life for me. I give my life for you. And things are happening. Bad things are happening, we think. Good things are happening, yay. Horrible things might be on the horizon. All these things are all around us. And God wants me to be even and steady. 
He's designed us that way as Christians, to be even and steady through the good times and the bad times. Paul says, I've learned to abound and I've learned to be abased. I've learned that. And it does take some learning, some practice. Nope, I'm not going to, I'm not going to scream and yell. I, I did that last time and it didn't do me any good and everything worked out great. I'm not going to scream and yell. I'm going to just do it. I'm going to go through it. God's going to take me through it like he always has. It's a step. To the place where you don't even have to stop yourself from screaming and yelling. It doesn't even cross your mind. He's renewing us in our minds and in our hearts, walking by faith, slowly but surely. So he rehearses his history there. God said this is going to happen. And now he says in verse 5, your two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt, are mine. As Reuben and Simeon, they shall be mine. Your offspring whom you beget after them shall be yours. They will be called by the name of their brother in their inheritance. But as for me, when I come or when I came from Padan, Rachel died beside me in the land of Canaan on the way. And there was about a little distance to go to Ephrath. And I buried her there on my way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. It's a little background. It's probably maybe the first time they've talked about that. So how, how did mom die? Well, we were on our way to Bethlehem, and she almost made it, but she didn't make it. So we carried her the rest of the way, and we buried her there. And the point is, I wanted to have more kids with her. Benjamin wasn't supposed to be the last one with her. We were supposed to have more than that. So you know what? I'm taking your boys. I don't think that works today, right? JC, Andrea, Caleb, and Edom, they're ours, right? You, you have, all the other kids after that are yours, but they're ours, you know? It'd be like, yeah, no, that's not going to happen. The idea here, of course, is that they're going to have a double blessing. I'm going to give them the blessing that I give my sons because I don't bless the grandsons. That's for you to do, Joseph. But in this case, I'm blessing those two boys. Jacob, or Joseph doesn't lose his sons today in this story, obviously. He's saying, I consider them mine. I mean, consider them equal to you. A double blessing for you, Joseph. And that's the promise. What a great moment here. Then Israel saw Joseph's sons and said, who are these? Now, later on, just a few verses here, it's going to say that his eyes were dim with age. So there's three men in front of him, kind of a blurry, you know, thing going on. And he recognizes Joseph and he goes, Joseph, you know, I'm taking your two boys today. You can have the rest, but these are mine, you know. And you can see that they, who are these two fellows with you right here? Well, they ain't little fellows anymore. You got to understand the picture here. They're, they're men. They're like 25, 26 years old standing next to him, this Ephraim and Manasseh. You, know, you get the idea they're little kids, but they're kneeling down in respect. And that's why we get that height thing here as you talk about his knees. But that they're grown men. They're like, Who are these fellows with you? You know? Joseph says, They're my sons whom God has given me in this place. He said, Please bring them to me and I will bless them. So that's what you do. As an older man, you bless the younger. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age, so that he could not see. Then Joseph brought them near him, and he kissed them, embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I I had not thought to see your face, but in fact, God has also shown me your offspring. Just a good, good moment right now. I never thought I'd think, I never thought I'd see you again, let alone your kids. I've got grandkids, you know, that I haven't seen. This is great. They're old, but this is great. So Joseph brought them from beside his knees and bowed down with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim, with his right hand toward Israel's left hand, and Manasseh with his left hand towards Israel's right hand and brought them near him. Now, they're giving us a, a picture here. It isn't very important. I'll explain it in a minute, but he's making sure the older is under the right hand of Jacob and the younger is under the left hand of Jacob. Apparently, there's more power in the right, and the idea is he gets the greater blessing with the right because he's the oldest, Okay. But old Tricky Jake, you know him. He's going to do this. He's going to do this thing here. Something about these guys. There's something here. I don't know what it is, but there's something about the younger being in charge. You know, Jacob was supposed to get blessed over um, his brother, and, and, and that worked out in a sketchy kind of way, but it happened. 
And then we see the same thing happening here. So he brought them close. Verse 14, then Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on Ephraim's head, who was the younger, and his left hand on Manasseh's head, guiding his hands knowingly, for Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, God before whom my father or my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has fed me all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads. Let my name be upon them. Now, before we turn the page, I know a lot of it's, it's, it's important to see this. You get the Trinity right here if you didn't know that. God before whom my father Abraham walked, that's the father. The God who has fed me, or the word there in Hebrew, shepherded me, the spirit. Then the angel Capital A there. Remember, throughout the Old Testament, Jesus is considered the angel of the Lord. That's the difference. An angel of the Lord or the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord capitalized is Jesus in the Old Testament. And remember, angel, we got to get this out of our minds. We, we just have come up with the idea that these are created beings with wings. Angels. Angels all around us. And we see the pictures on Facebook of some, some strange artist rendition of an angel. They're pretty... Well, they're different the way the Bible describes them, but this isn't that. The word angel literally means messenger. So a created heavenly being called a seraphim could be used as an angel or messenger. And several times they are used as messengers, but Jesus is also a messenger, not a created being. He's always existed eternally with the Father. You can't be a father without a son. So if he's the everlasting father, he has to have an everlasting son. Okay, so here we see the angel who has redeemed me from all evil. It's Jesus. He's acknowledging it. Bless the lads. Let my name be upon them. In the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude of the midst of the earth. Now, when Joseph saw that his father had laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. So he took hold of his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. Joseph said to his father, Not so, my father, for this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. You ever heard someone talk like that? A little condescending to their parents? Now, Dad, you've got mismatched socks on. I'm warning you. <laughs> Don't talk like that to your elderly dad. He's not going to like it. I've seen that. You got to talk to your elderly father like you've always talked to him. What's with the socks, Dad? What's wrong with them? You got a blue and a black one on. I can't see anything. Eh, I figured. It's no big deal. Nobody sees them anyway. Let it go. You know, let it go. Joseph's being a little condescending. Dad, you've got your hand on the wrong one. Let me help you. And he grabs his dad's hand. You don't do that either. Put your hands up. He doesn't do that. <laughs> Jacob's nicer than that. But we've got to be careful how we treat our parents, you know. They're not children. They, they may need wiped now and then. They may be wearing diapers and all that stuff. That all may be happening, but that doesn't mean that they get to be treated like children, you know. That's just something they can't control. That's out of their control. But you leave them with as much control as you can. Dad, I think you're going to hurt yourself. Well, if I want to hurt myself, I'm going to hurt myself. All right. I get it. If you want to die falling down the stairs in your house, okay. I mean, honestly, isn't, there, isn't that their choice? You know? No, that'd be better. Put me in a home where no one can visit me anymore because of the Iowa State folks are in charge. I'm kidding. <laughs> where I'm not going to see anybody or I get a worker who doesn't get paid near enough for the job that they do, for them to treat me roughly when you're not around, and I'm not saying that happens all the time, but it does happen. Because that's far better than me being on my own at home, doing my own thing, having some independence and some dignity before I go. Soapbox there. I'll step off now. Takes his father saying, no, my father... For this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also shall become a people, 
and he also shall be great. But truly, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his descendants shall become a multitude of nations. I know what I'm doing. For once, Jacob might say, I know what I'm doing here. The younger gets blessed more. Yeah, he's going to be fine. The, little, the, the older guy, no offense, buddy, but this is a blessing coming from God, you know, through the father, through Jacob. So he blessed them that day, saying, by you, Israel, um, by you, Israel will, will bless, saying, may God make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. And thus he set Ephraim before Manasseh. Then Israel said to Joseph, behold, I am dying. But God will be with you and bring you back to the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given uh, to you one portion above your brothers, a double blessing, which I took from the hand of the Amorite with my sword and my bow. And the only scripture we have we have on that is John chapter 4, verse 5. We're not going to read it, but you can look it up. just indicates that there's some piece of ground there um, that he gives to him from Sychar uh, in Samaria. So it doesn't really matter, but he just said you got a double blessing. Now, 49. And Jacob called his sons and said, Gather together um, that I may tell you what shall befall you in the last days. So the intent here is to bless the rest of the boys. Now Joseph's, you know, got his two boys blessed. And we're going to bring everybody else in because I'm dying and this is what you do before you die. Okay. But this interesting wording, he says, befall you. It's prophetic. Here's what's going to happen. Now I've always thought it funny when they would name their kids like their character, you know? Well, you know you know his name is Nabal, and he is a fool, because Nabal means fool, you know? It's like, wow. So, like, you named them, and they, like, became like that name. So that's why we're all looking up really great baby names, you know? Most holy, most high. What, what's the word for that, you know? In Mexico, Jesus, 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 Jesus. There's a lot of Jesuses down there. We don't have enough boldness to call our kids that. This is my son, Jesus Dirks. That's... <laughs> That wouldn't fly in our culture, but down there, it's just an honor. I want my kid to be like Jesus. So, Jesus, that's his name. And they're hoping he's, you know, like Jesus when he grows up. They kind of did that with all the Marys, too. All the Marys were naming their kids because they knew the, the prophecy, you know. Anyway, they did that. But this is a prophecy from Dad. This is what's going to befall you. Now, there's not a lot to take away from this. He gets lengthy at first and gets real brief towards the end here with their promises and, and all. And I'm going to run through these pretty quick. Gather together and hear, you sons of Jacob, and listen to Israel, your father. Reuben, you are my first, my mighty, and the beginning of my strength, the excellency of dignity and the excellency of power. So far, so good. Unstable as water. You shall not excel, because you went up to your father's bed. Then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. Ew. He's referring to what happened with his daughter-in-law and so on. Um, and we can, you can read that on your own. Here's the thing. What do you take away from this? Are we just going to be uncomfortable and be flies on the wall as, as, as Jacob goes through all these boys and says, you're not going to make nothing of yourself, and you're going to... No, there's something to take away from this. Jacob is telling him, you truly are mighty, and you were the beginning of my strength. You were the firstborn. You were excellency and dignity and excellency and power. You were on the right track, but you were corrupted. You were unstable in all your ways. You were unstable like water. And because of that, I can't give you the blessing I would like to give you like the first portion of my blessing. I, I would love to bless you with because you've had the excellency of power and the excellence, but you lost all that. You were unstable. You were wishy-washy. James chapter 1, verses 6 through 8, describes that for the Christian. Don't be unstable in all your ways. Don't let that man think. As he asks God for stuff and he doesn't do it with faith and he's unstable in all his ways, let not that man believe he's going to receive anything from the Lord. That... Truth is still the same, even in the New Testament. God doesn't want Christians that are unstable. He doesn't want us to be unstable. We stand upon the rock for a reason, for stability. But some Christians are toggling between the rock and the sand and the rock and the sand, and they're unstable in all their ways. You say, well, Reuben didn't even know that was his daughter-in-law. Reuben didn't even know what was going on there. Reuben, 
Reuben didn't know the deal with Bilhah, you know, my uh, Jacob's concubine, basically. Different story. I got them mixed up there. Sorry. Well, you did. You had that character flaw. You had that flaw that causes you to not be able to be trusted. And that, that flaw brought you down in the eyes of everybody. You did have, in the beginning, strength and might and dignity and power, but you lost it. You're unstable, and therefore, you can't. You can't be blessed as much as you could have been blessed. You'll, you'll be fine. You're still going to have kids. You're, you're still going to have a nation or a tribe. And it's going to grow in number, but it's not where you should have been. And as a Christian, I don't want to be that Reuben. I want to be stable. I want to be even. I want people, when they look at my life, they see steady, even actions, a life that that follows and looks like what I profess verbally, what I teach weekly. I, I want my family to look like I'm really doing what I teach at home, and it's functioning. God's word really works, provided it's, it's applied consistently. And from the beginning, a lot of you know what it's like to bring Jesus into your families halfway it's rough. There's a lot of undoing. There's a lot of unlearning. There's a lot of character and uh, heart changes that need to happen. It's not as easy as when you start off at the beginning that way. So all you young people, man, get stable now. Now, now, now. And start applying God's principles to your life now and walk that way. And don't ever change till the day you die. And you will have a life filled that's even and looks like Christianity. It looks like someone who walks with Jesus. Reuben. Simeon and Levi are brothers, instruments of cruelty are in their dwelling place. Let not my soul enter their counsel. Let not my honor be united to their assembly. For in their anger they slew a man, and in their self-will they hamstrung an ox. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. And they do. They do. Not exactly the blessing you'd hope for or what you'd want to get from your dad. But it's not really a blessing. It's more of just a matter of this is who you are. You have so much anger and rage in you. We saw it displayed. And when bad things happen, like what happened, we saw you in your self-willed state. This is what it looks like. It's cruel, instruments of cruelty. You've got anger, so much anger that I can't bless it. I don't want to be attached to that. He says, in any way, shape, or form, I don't want my name on the, your back, you know, like a football jersey. I don't want him to say, there's Jacob's boys. Ooh, man, don't even, I'm not like that. That cruelty doesn't even, I can't even comprehend that. I don't know where they got that from. But man, they're instruments of cruelty. So let not my soul enter their counsel. Let not my honor be united to their assembly. And uh, no. Self-willed and cruel. As a Christian, Jesus doesn't want to attach his name to that. I'm not saying he leaves you or forsakes you. Don't, don't misunderstand me here. But when we see, and you'll hear that from unbelievers all the time, oh, the church, the church has been nothing but cruel throughout history. The Crusades, let's go over the Crusades, the unbeliever will say to the believer. I'm like, I wasn't even there. And yet the history is very clear on those things. And what happened? The inquisitions, the getting a whole town saved, and once they get saved, going and slaughter them so that they can't reject Christ later on. I mean, some of the stories, which we'd like to think were not true, are. Church history is ugly at times. Here's why. Because there's ugly people that are Christians. They may have been saved. They might not have been saved and just done it in the name of Jesus too. Either way, we can see here with Simeon and Levi, God doesn't want to attach his name to that. That wasn't me during the Inquisition. That wasn't me during those times. Of horrific. I started, I have a book on tape program, Audible. And so I'm trying to get through some classics because I'd, well, I don't read. I don't like to read. I hate reading. So while I'm walking, I'll, I'll let this 
you know, narrator talk. And I started a, a tale of two cities, you know, and uh, too, too Dickensy for me, you know, Dickens, he, he just a little too, what are you doing, mate? You know, the accent is impossible for me to understand. I mean, I can do some of it, but for the most part, it's like, man, where's the abridged version or something or a modern version? I can't handle that. There's just too much. But he described the times that they were in during this French Revolution, and um, Dickens is trying to get it across what it was like that the 15-year-old boy who got his tongue ripped out and his hands cut off because he didn't bow down for the monks that were passing by uh, over four blocks away or, or a mile away. That was the church at the time. So the church would do because they didn't show reverence to a 15-year-old boy, cut off his hands and plus, We've got some ugliness. We've got some cruelty. And Jesus will not have his name attached to that. And so I look at my own life because there's nothing I can do about everybody else's life. Is there anything in my life that Jesus can't attach himself to? that he doesn't want his soul to enter my council, that he doesn't want his honor to be united in my assembly, you know? That's what I take from these things. And to get rid of them. I don't want to be self-willed. I don't want to, in my anger and in my righteousness, decide to kill a man or to hamstring an, an, a poor ox. What'd the ox do? You know? I don't want to be that guy. Judah. You are he who your brothers shall praise. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's children shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He bows down. He lies down as a lion. And as a lion, who shall rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver for between his feet until Shiloh comes, until Jesus comes. And to him shall be the obedience of the people, binding his donkey to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. He washed his garments in wine, his clothes in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine, his teeth whiter than milk. Hmm. Quite a prophecy there about our Messiah, about Jesus. The scepter shall not depart from Judah. Well, it did. The scepter the ability to rule and to govern themselves was removed by the Roman governor or by the Roman government at that time. 70 AD was when they were, it was taken away from them. And so if you put that together and you understand what that means, that means the Messiah had to come before 70 AD. And we, we all know that. We've accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior. There's no doubt about it that he's the Messiah. But for some still looking for the Messiah... They have no hope because according to this prophecy, and they, they regard this as prophecy about the Messiah, if Jesus isn't the Messiah, then there is no Messiah. He can't come. This has happened. 70 AD, the scepter was removed. There was no ability. So if he didn't come before 70 AD, he ain't coming. They're looking for somebody that can't. Obviously, God knows how to frame it. He knows how to lay it out to saying, I'm giving you a choice, but I'm making it real simple for you. 70 AD is the cutoff time. Okay, now think really hard. Who came before 70 AD? You know, he's trying to lay it out. And so this prophecy has come to pass. The death penalty was removed from the nation of Israel during Jesus' time. In fact, that's why they had to bring him to Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate says, you have your own laws. Go ahead and judge him according to your own laws. They said, we can't. Because our laws say that he needs to die, and you're the only one with the power and the authority to do that. And that's why Pilate had to make a judgment. They were not going to be satisfied with anything less than capital punishment. And so he describes Judah there. Now, this is the first time we see Judah kind of step onto the stage. He's been in the background most of the time. But Jesus comes from the line of Judah. Now, Zebulun, that gets pretty quick here, shall dwell by the heaven uh, or haven, excuse me, of the sea. He shall become a haven for ships, and his border shall adjoin Sidon. And it did. Issachar is a strong donkey lying down between two burdens. He saw that rest was good and that the land was pleasant. He bowed his shoulders to bear a burden and became a band of slaves. They settled in the land of Megiddo, which is the most fertile 
part of the country at that time. And so all they do is throw out seed and it grew, basically. So pretty easy gig. Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent by the way, a viper by the path that bites the horse's heels so that its rider shall fall backward. And then this is like a little phrase he throws in here. I have waited for your salvation, O Lord. It has nothing to do with Dan. He just kind of throws that out there as he's going through these things. Old people do that sometimes. You'll be talking to them and we'll be on a subject and all of a sudden we're on another subject, you know. So that's kind of the idea there. That's why it doesn't kind of blend, you know. Uh, and so it's right or shall fall backward. I have waited for your salvation, O Lord. That's, it doesn't go together, you know. Um, Dan is a trouble. He's a problem. He is the one that leads most of Israel, as we've been going over on, on Sunday mornings, into idolatry. He's a serpent. Gad, a troop, shall tramp upon him. but He shall triumph at last. That's it. Gad's got to be looking around saying, okay. All right. uh, bread from Asher shall be rich. He shall yield royal dainties. <laughs> Asher, you shall be the baker. And then he moves on to the next guy. Naphtali is a deer let loose. He uses beautiful words. He's a poet, apparently, or something. I don't know. Speechwriter. Joseph is a fruitful bough. Now, here we get to Joseph. Uh, his boys have already been blessed, but Joseph gets interesting. Is a fruitful bough. A fruitful bough by a well. His branches run over the wall. The archers have bitterly grieved him. But shooting at him his whole life. He has. He's had a rough life. Shot at him and hated him. But his bow remained in strength, and his arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. From there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. By the God of your father, who will help you, and by the Almighty who will bless you with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that lies beneath, blessings of the breast and of the womb, and blessings of your father, have excelled and blessing the blessings of my ancestors up to the utmost bound of the everlasting hills. They shall be on the head of Joseph and on the crown of the head of him who was separate from his brothers, separated from his brothers. Quite a blessing for him. Guys, that's us. I mean, there's so much to have. The fruitful bough, the fruitful bough that's been planted by the well. We, we should be bearing fruit. We should be that person that's over the wall. It's, it's outstretched. A lot of times the fruit of the Spirit is often taken to mean it's a, a badge of honor or something that's for you. The gifts of the Spirit can be used that way also, and it's just not appropriate. Neither the gifts nor the fruit are for us. It comes from a relationship with the true and living God, with our roots deep into the well of God's word and the Holy Spirit moving through us and in us. We provide fruit for those around us. That's what an apple tree does. It's kind of sneaky what an apple tree does. It surrounds its seed, which needs to get away from the tree. But since I can't move, how do I get this seed away from me to plant another tree? Well, I'll encase it with wonderful sweet fruit. Some animal will unsuspectingly come by and devour all of it, and the seed will be implanted in the animal and be eliminated someplace else. And there we have our planting process. As Christians, it's not nearly that, well, graphic. But we bear fruit. A lot of times we just try to shove seed down people's throat, but you need to bear fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. It's for others to enjoy. We should bring peace. We should bring joy. We should be long-suffering, patient. We should be kind. All the things should be happening. Now, now, some people read that list and think, okay, these are the things I need to work on. I think I'm pretty good with joy. I make a lot of jokes, make people laugh at work. Got the joy down. That's not what it means. Those are symptoms. That's all they are. They're a byproduct of a relationship, a healthy relationship with the true and living God. If I'm not producing the fruit of the Spirit, I can't make myself produce those things. I need to do something so that I'm, I'm drawing from him so that he can do that in me. The fruit is of the Spirit, not of me. I can't produce joy. I can't produce long-suffering. I can't produce any of those things. But my 
my relationship with God does produce that in me, you see. So when I find myself not producing and not having that through the Spirit, well, first of all, I need to get and ask and pray, God, help me. Fill me with your Spirit. Spend time with Him. Dig into His Word. Get into that well. Let your roots grow deep, deep, deep. And you'll produce fruit, but it, it's nothing that you can produce. The Holy Spirit produces it in you, you see. But it happens. It does happen. You've been shot at, but you never shot back. Your hands have been restrained. That's an amazing thing to be able to restrain your hands. You had it in within your power to go ahead and you could have had revenge, but you didn't. You didn't. You got strong arms. You could bend a bow, but you didn't release the string. Something about that. Beautiful. Now, Benjamin. Benjamin is a ravenous wolf. In the morning, he shall devour the prey, and at night, he shall divide the spoil. I don't know what that means. I need a secret decoder ring for that. But we know that Benjamin was a tough group of tough group of people, man. Their tribes, whenever you read about the battles, the Benjamites were coming, man. Paul, Paul, the apostle, he was a Benjamite. And you talk about tough. You know, he got beat up and thrown down. And the guy's like, let's just carry him off. He says, No, oh, I'm gonna go back in. Patch me up, Luke. You know, Luke, the physician, had patch him back up and he'd go back into the fight. Tough guy. He was a Benjamite, so that's what that means. All these are the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, if you counted right, that's 13. You got Manasseh, you got Ephraim, counting as two, and then they take the place of Joseph, basically, and then you've got the others. That's 13 tribes, but, and that's fine. It doesn't matter. But if you notice, any time throughout Scripture, when they list the tribes, they always leave one out, so there's 12. There's always 12. Sometimes they leave out Dan, sometimes they leave out Ephraim, sometimes they leave out the Levites, because they were the priests and they didn't have any land. You know, they had their own had their own cities within, but they didn't have their own place, you know. Always 12, though, even though they're 13. So, Jacob's death and burial. Then he charged them and said to them, I am to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron, the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field of Machpelah, sorry, um, which is before uh, Mamre in the land of Canaan which Abraham bought with the field of Ephron, the Hittite, as a possession for the burial place. Now, you know who's buried there? Does anybody know which wife is buried there? It's Leah. He doesn't go to Bethlehem to get buried. Who's in Bethlehem? Rachel, love of his life. Hmm, it's interesting. Puts himself with Leah. There they buried Abraham and Sarah, his wife. And they buried Isaac and Rebekah, his wife. And there I buried Leah. The field and the cave that is there were purchased from the son, sons of Heth. Uh, and when Jacob had finished commanding his sons, he drew up his feet into the bed and breathed his last. It was gathered to his people. He's gone. Hmm. Kind of a neat way to go. You know, if you're going to go, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to go to, bye. You know, he's done. I'm cashing out, man. Chapter 50, we'll run through it. We'll go pretty quick. This kind of closes it up for us and gets us ready. Then Joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. And Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. Only the best, only the highest authorities get that treatment. So the, physician, so the physicians embalmed Israel. Forty days were required for him, for such are the days required for those who are embalmed. Forty days to do this. And the Egyptians mourned for him 70 days. It's quite a funeral. The whole nation shuts down for a couple or you know, two and a half months or so. Now, when the days of his mourning were past, Joseph spoke to the household of Pharaoh. So they just mourned for that period. If now I have found favor in your eyes, please speak in the hearing of Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, saying, Behold, I am dying in my grave, which I dug for myself in the land of Canaan there. Uh, you shall bury me. Now, therefore, please let me go up and bury my father and I will come back. Interesting. I just want to go, but I'm not going to stay there. I'm going to come back. Famine must be over or about over anyway. And Pharaoh said, go up and bury your father. He's made you swear. Got to do what your dad says, man. So Joseph went up to bury his father and with him went up all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his house, 
and all the elders of the land of Egypt, as well as all the house of Joseph, his brothers and his father's house, only their little ones, their flocks and their herds, they left in the land of Goshen, and there went up with him both chariots and horsemen, and it was a very great gathering. And for the Bible to say something like that, this is a big procession, you know. I think back to when Jacob says, I want to bless everybody. Now you think about this. Joseph is in the middle of Egypt. He's number two in Egypt. We've talked about their wealth and everything. I'm about to hand out my inheritance, Jacob said. Comparatively speaking, what could you possibly give me as an inheritance that could be, I mean, well, thanks. And I'm only saying that from the Egyptians' point of view because you understand that Joseph has a, a wife who's a, you know Egyptian, and she's looking at her in-laws who have just come to town like the Beverly Hillbillies, you know, and she's walking out and saying, oh, is this your dad? You know, I mean, you can see this caravan coming in, a bunch of, sh- bunch of shepherds. I and mean, you remember what the Egyptians thought of the shepherds. Get that in. And Jacob runs right up to Pharaoh and blesses him. You know, and they're like, okay, you know, okay. Shepherds laying hands on me. Someone get the Purell kind of thing. And so he's saying, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you. And they're like, they've got to be thinking in their mind, what could you possibly give the spiritual heritage that Jacob is passing on? I think is reflected in this, in this procession. No one's ever seen a funeral like this, probably is my guess. This is some sheep herder. This is some Beverly Hillbilly. And yet all Egypt shuts down for 70 days. And then they all walk out and go bury him clear, clear over there. The logistics of this is unbelievable. You've never seen a dignitary have this kind of procession before. And how fitting. And I want us to see that today as we think about that little tiny nation of Israel over there. This is them. This is their beginning. This is their start. How much honor should we be giving? I mean, we're kind of the Egyptians. You can hear that mumbling sometimes that goes on in America sometimes. Well, you know, they wouldn't be even around if they didn't have their big brother United States with them. If it wasn't for our military might, they'd have been gone over. But best be careful. Because Egypt's going to get blessed because Jacob just showed up, not the other way around, you see. The same honor that we see Egypt giving to Jacob now is the same honor that should be carried out. Israel is the apple of the Father's eye. He's got his eye on them. And those who bless Israel will be blessed, and those who curse Israel will be cursed. And as we get closer and closer to that day, we know that that anti-Semitism is going to be on the rise. And it best not show up with any of the folks in this room. Because we know better. We know better. Then they came to the threshing floor of Atad, which is beyond the Jordan, and they mourned there with a great, very solemn lamentation. He observed seven days of mourning for his father. And when the inhabitants of the land of Canaan saw the mourning of the threshing floor of Atad, they said, this is a deep mourning of the Egyptians. Therefore, its name was called Abel Mizraim, which is beyond the Jordan, which means Egyptian mourning. So his sons did for him just as he had commanded them. For his sons carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave of the field of Machpelah before Mamre, which Abraham bought uh, with the field from from Ephron the Hittite as property for a burial place. And after he had buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt, he and his brothers and all who went up with him to bury his father. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, perhaps Joseph will hate us and may actually repay us for all the evil which we did to him. So they sent messengers to Joseph, saying, Before your father died, he commanded, saying, that Thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespass of your brothers and their sin, for they did evil to you. Now please forgive the trespasses of your servants, of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Dad said before he died that you're supposed to forgive us. They're terrified he's going to kill them. He's just waiting. Now that dad's dead, this is it. We're all gone. Joseph's like, no, man. No. I mean, you want to talk about ruining a funeral. Hey, I know dad's dead, and this probably isn't the right time, but you're not going to kill us, are you? You know? What a horrible, horrible thing. And Joseph wept. He's broken. 
Remember, Joseph is a type of Christ. He says it again to them. Then his brothers also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we are your servants. And Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. The nation of Israel is going to look at their Savior Jesus in the last days and say, I can't believe we did that to you. Please don't kill us. Please goes, no, no, no. What you meant for evil, my father worked out for good so that many, many, many people could come to know me. It's a beautiful picture here. Now, therefore, do not be afraid. That's the second time. I will provide for you and your little ones. And, and, and he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. So Joseph dwelt in Egypt, he and his father's household. And Joseph lived 110 years. And Joseph saw Ephraim's children to the third generation. The children of uh, Makar, the son of Manasseh, were also brought up on Joseph's knees. And Joseph said to his brethren, I'm dying but God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land to the land of which he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph took an oath from the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. We made it. We made it. Beautiful. Now, next week, Exodus. <laughs> 400 years later, from this time, from Joseph dying, things change. The nation of Israel becomes slaves, not just shepherds. And uh, they call for a deliverer, Moses. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for our time we've had in your word tonight. Uh, your Holy Spirit teaching us and bringing up new things that maybe none of us had ever heard before. Like, wow just comes alive when we read it like that, Lord. And we're so thankful that your Holy Spirit is our teacher. And we pray that you keep these things in our hearts. We just love it. We devour it. We're hungry for your word, and we receive it with gladness tonight. And uh, we just thank you for this time we've had as a family. In Jesus' name, amen.